Oops, I forgot. Is is it Michael Torres James? I oh, Jaimez. Jaimez. Okay, I figured yeah. that with the Torres. I'm like, hmm. Jaimez. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What's going on, world? We back with another From Hood to Good episode. Your boy Ronnie Jacks holding it down. Welcome to another beautiful edition of the From Hood to Good podcast. And today we got another expert on the line for you guys. I got Michael Torres Jaimez on the line. It looks like James, mm, but it's yes. Jaimez. I assure you, you made that correction <laughs> before we hit the record button. So, Michael, thank you for being here. How are you feeling today? I feel great. You know, um, I feel blessed. Every time I get invited to share a little bit of what I've been through, it's just like, it's always such a beautiful feeling because it just solidifies and verifies the ability that we can really create our own reality. And this was in my vision that I had written years ago that I'd like to spread more more of my story to help other people um just in their own lives so i feel really great about being here and I, and I really believe that this is a this is like a divine meeting so i'm excited i'm excited to dive in ronnie thank you for having me by the way i really appreciate you taking the time and reaching out to me no problem my pleasure um listeners today we're gonna we're gonna see where this goes michael is an expert in helping people get the tools they need to understand their value attract their dream client, serve as an impact-driven life coach, and I'm sure many other things. So we're going to dive right into it. Michael, um, here at the From Hood to Good podcast, we believe the story paints the picture. The story mm. kind of shows people their why, why they do mm -hmm. what they do. Um, would you mind diving into a little bit about your background, how you grew up, things of that nature? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to. It'd be an honor to do that, Ronnie. Thank you. Yeah, and I like the name from from a hood. I like that. That's really good. <laughs> Too good. I'd love that. So, so to currently today, um, I'm feeling really blessed. As I was saying right now, I get to really live my purpose, do what I love to do, and help other people, and make a living doing it. And I make a very good living doing it. And it's a good feeling to have that. And I didn't always know what my purpose is. In fact, I was pretty confused for a long time of what. I was even on the planet for, you know, I'm not sure if you can relate with that, but and maybe some of the, some of the audience can relate with that. It's like, I used to have these moments when I was a kid of, of really feeling like at moments, not always like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like I'd have these moments, like, what am I doing here? And I remember at a very young age, just wanting to have fun, just wanting to play. You know, I used to, I used to be really into like uh, Marvel characters and, any type of cartoons that seem to expand human possibility. I was always drawn to those types of things, like the martial arts world. I used to watch Kung Fu Sunday, and I used to be like, wow, this is so cool. These guys can jump off of these things and do these things. So there was something within me that always believed that there was more to life than what I had, than I, what I was being told. And TV and some of these cartoons were tapping, helping me tap into that. And growing up, I grew up in Hawaii. So I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm not sure. Have you been to Hawaii, Ronnie? I have not, but I'm jealous already. But you've heard of Hawaii, right? <laughs> oh, you, you said Hawaii, right? Hawaii, yeah. Okay, okay. Because first, I thought I heard Hawaii the first time. Then I thought I heard Kuwait. I don't know why. <laughs> but, man, okay, grew up in Hawaii. Yep, 
yeah, yeah. So, you know, Hawaii is, you know, it's a beautiful place and it's considered paradise by, from a lot of people. And one thing I've learned is that paradise, what we call paradise can be hell. And what people call hell can be paradise because it's based upon perception, how we see it in a big part. And so growing up in this beautiful place of Hawaii is very nurtured. You know, I had the, the ocean, I had the streams, I had the mountains, grew up with a family, mom and dad, and who were very hardworking. My parents immigrated from Mexico and hard workers opened up a restaurant and did what they needed to do to get to move up in that, in that business. And me as a child felt very, I remember feeling really like alone. You know, they were, they were constantly gone working. And so I began to just explore and wander and, you know, try to find who I, you know, what was fun, which was nature. Um, and then it seemed like, it seemed like my parents only really uh, talked to me when I was doing something wrong. At least that's what it felt like. I'm sure it wasn't true, but those are the memories that kind of stuck with me at, at some points. And so that hurt. You know, it hurt. I didn't like it. It seemed like I could never be good enough for my dad. It seems like I was never deserving of love, even though they were there physically. I'm not sure if it, any of the audience can relate with this, but I just felt like something was missing. And so I started to be a little bit angry about that. At the same yeah. time, I was very happy, right? And I didn't understand how emotions work at the time. Nobody was teaching me. So I just kind of bottled them up. And then I went to school and as most kids go through the experience of being bullied. Well, I went through that same experience and being picked on. And, you know, and, and in that experience, I, the anger grew. And I remember getting into a fight at a very young age and then the bullying stopped. So my unconscious mind, which runs 95, 90% of our life learned, oh, this is how you handle that. You, you handle it with this. And this gets you the, the respect that you want or, people now are nicer to you and so that kind of started this little thing of like using that defense mechanism to get my respect and fast forward then we moved from hawaii to san diego and in san diego california went to a public school and i was going to a private school in hawaii so from private to public and all of a sudden i'm in california and kids are getting bussed in from different neighborhoods and there's gang elements, there's drug element, and not having much guidance from my parents, I gravitated towards, towards the kids that were into drugs, that were into being kind of um, rebellious, so to speak, and it just felt right. It just kind of felt right at the time, and I felt like I belonged there for some reason, and so in that world, I started to get involved at a very young age in you know, smoking marijuana, and started to drink at a very young age. I was like maybe seventh grade, eighth grade. And then that progressed to like other drugs. So I did like methamphetamines when I was a very young age. And so that's when I began to go down this path of drug use and, uh, you know, moving down this deeper dark hole, if you will, that I didn't really realize what I was going down at the time. And that continued progressed and it got a little bit worse. And I got involved in gangs at a very young age. And just started going down this path. And, but you know what's interesting, Ronnie, is the whole time going on that path, there was always something that felt like mm, this isn't right. I'm not sure if you can relate with that. It's like an inner voice or inner feeling, you know? Like your gut feeling, the gut instinct. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I didn't know any other way at the time. So I had nobody really showing me another way. And so that's the path I kind of went down. 
it just didn't make sense of like, I, I like the friendship quality of some of these friends. I didn't like, I could see, I could sense like we were hurting, we were hurting each other. And I could sense that I started to see what drugs were doing to some of my friends. I'm going, wait a minute, this is this. This doesn't seem very good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, as right. I as as I as I got older. And so um fast forward, I had my son 19. And when I had him, I'm like, I want something better for him. So I moved back to Hawaii. And I'll, just me and him and my 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 girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And with this intention of giving him a better life. And I was trying to run from my beliefs, which you can't do because they stay with you. <laughs> so uh, in Hawaii, I still had some of my beliefs which were like not feeling good enough and just not really feeling loved and beliefs is what what i know now is what really runs your values and your beliefs is what runs your life and so the relationship didn't work out i got a job at a restaurant did well and then she moved back and i just felt like a total loser for a while you know i just felt really sad and really really like oh my gosh how did i, I fail my kid i failed my girlfriend at the time and yeah. so i went to i went into like a depression at like 24 23 for like a year it's really depressed and really just like feeling sorry for myself i'm not sure if you you've ever like had a conversation in your mind in which you kind of beat yourself up <laughs> right it's like you do something it's like this that inner voice starts going like oh man we're so stupid or what's wrong with you and it's just kind of this negative self-talk is just taking over my my whole brain and i and i allowed it to because somehow there was a part of me that felt that i deserved that it's really weird how the human mind can do that and so I started going on that path. And then we, my parents were like, we want to move out to Hawaii, but we don't want to move to Oahu. We want to move to Maui. So we moved to Maui. And all of a sudden, I, st- I stopped feeling sorry for myself. I mean, I'm done feeling sorry for myself and started to feel more confident. And so I started to date and go out. And at this time, back then, I was so heartbroken, you know, it's really heartbroken that I was like trying to feel the pain now uh, with other women so I went down that path trying to sleep around and it felt a little bit better <laughs> but at the end of the day I still went home alone and like nobody knew me right. and so what I didn't know then which I know now is that I was creating these different masks if you will these different like personas so that I can be liked loved and respected but nobody really knew who I really was Ronnie I was hiding that from mm-hmm. inside and it's like, because I was afraid that if I let people know who I was, they might not accept me. They might pick on me. They might think I'm weird. You know, I thought guys are supposed to be a certain way and this and that. So that led to, you know, being around 26 or so. And I met this guy in Maui and I had left the drug life for a while. But when I met this guy, you know, he became a friend of mine and he's like, hey, you know, I started to notice what he was doing. I'm like, hey, you know, I could probably make a few phone calls for you and maybe get someone to buy some of your stuff, right? And I did, and they called me again, and he's like, hey, you should help me. I'm like, ah, kind of done with that. I did it when I was younger. I'm moving this other life now. And he said, no, you should go ahead and try it. So I did. So I went and grabbed some of that that he had, which was cocaine. And lo and behold, man, started making money really fast. It was just like, you know, within a few months, I was making just like, really fast, you know, a month. Mm -hmm. And then we decided that we were going to start transporting cocaine ourselves to the island from California. So I went on this path, Ronnie, and in the mind, I didn't believe I was doing anything wrong at the time because I figured, "Ah, that's, you know, 
if I don't do it, somebody else will. I'm not forcing people. It's it's okay, right? And one thing I've learned is that we people justify why they do everything that they do, whether it's good or bad. So I was justifying in my mind why what I was doing was good. And all that caught up to me at about 29 years old. Uh, and I was indicted uh, by the federal government at 29 years old. And it was like, boom, right? It's like, it's like what happened? Wow. Sitting there. <laughs> man. Brother, I was like, oh my God. It just felt like my life was over. Then I'd, I'd watch a bunch of, you know, History Channel and the Mafia. And we you know when you hear the federal government comes after you, indictments, it's like, you're done. <laughs> you know, they got wiretaps, they got everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went into federal, federal, um, first time I'd been really arrested. I, I was arrested like a few months before for the first time. It was a state thing. And they brought that into the federal case. But I, so I went 29 years pretty much like just sliding through the system never getting caught and now i was caught and i had to sit there ronnie and it was just like wow you know it's like you're stripped from everything you know you know you're in chains you're in shackles you're in a a small cell phone calls are being monitored and the psychological pressure that the federal system imposes on the mind is incredible it's designed to break you mentally so mm-hmm. that you'll do one thing, which is cooperate. Because I mean, that's it's easier for them. If you cooperate and you give them the inside scoop on what happens on the street, well, then it saves them from having to put out, you know, informants and endanger their their agents, right? So they got the Fed, the feds got smart. <laughs> they said, Yeah, we'll just get the criminals to help us get the other criminals. And mm-hmm. you know, I had this thing, I just was like, I just didn't feel like that was my path. So I stayed quiet. And they were looking to give me five years to life for conspiracy to distribute cocaine. I wouldn't budge. And that five years became 10 years. I wouldn't budge. And then they put a motion in, doubled my sentence from 10 to 20. So now I'm looking at 20 to life. And it was like, whoa, what the heck? And I sat there, Ronnie. I was just going like, my God, is so, so like, what's the point of even living? Started to think about suicide and just didn't have a reason to live, you know, and just very dark place at that time. And I was, you know, raccoon eyed and depressed and skinny. I wasn't eating. I was so stressed out and people around me were cooperating and I didn't. So I didn't know who to talk to. It just was a very difficult, difficult moment. And, and I didn't know what to do. I was just like, for the first time, I'm like, money can't buy the solution. (laughs) I'm like, I always thought that money could buy everything, right? It's like, you ever have enough money, you can figure it out. But God showed me something. He said, nope, there's forces at play here that are bigger than money. And I didn't see, I didn't know that, right? But I was feeling that pressure. And then I met this guy and he was in there. His name was Harold. And I went to his cell and I said, hey, Harold, man, can I talk to you, brother? He goes, I didn't even know him. I just seen him. I knew his name. Mm -hmm. He goes, come in, my boy. This guy was like in his 60s. And he was the only guy in there that genuinely seemed happy. And it just, I was like, this guy, how is this guy? I need to, I need to talk to him because I'm about to literally take some sheets and hang myself. Mm. So I went in there to go talk to him and he says, Hey, sit down, sit down. I go, dude, I I don't know what to do, man. I feel like killing myself right now. And I, I don't know why I need to talk to you, but I'm here and you need to tell me something. I don't know what it is. God, you know, such a moment, bro. He just started telling me about, like meditation and spirituality and just it's like it's like there was a 
that was a point in my life that was designed to turn something on in my life, in my mind. And it just, something switched. And I'm like, I want what he's talking about. Like, I want that right there. Like, yeah. give me that. How do I get that? So he gave me some books to read. And I went back to my cell and I started to read. And these books just talked about meditating and that God is within and that you can build a relationship with God, right? And I'm like, that was just foreign. I was born Catholic and I always thought that God was outside of myself, somewhere in the heavens. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. And so I started, to, I started to practice this inner connection, this inner relationship. And I started to feel better. I started to feel more better. I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know? In the so prison. I, in prison. And so I started to read more books on spirituality. I started to read, I read the Bible. I, all of a sudden it's like this burning desire, Ronnie turned on to just want to know more, to like want to explore more of this God that I was like, I want to know more about God. I want to know more about like, what is my purpose? What is God? And how does this relate to me? Right. Those are the questions that I had. Mm-hmm. And so when you put a strong intention like that, uh, what I've learned in anything you do, the universe begins to bring you these experiences or the, the people or the books or the avenues so that you can learn. Mm-hmm. And so people would come out to me and be like, hey, I don't know, my, I got this book sent in to me. I think this would be good for you. And people are literally handing me books. And I was reading all these books on psychology, mindset, everything you can think of from like spirituality to like personal growth. Uh, from history i just i began to become this like seeker of knowledge of wisdom and the more that i sought the more that i began to experience these feelings and i started to have these like out of body experiences where i was like literally leaving my physical body and i was traveling you know i was like traveling through space i was traveling through the earth i, I could leave my body and wow. and it was scary man who the hell do i talk to about this shit right so what the hell is going on with me um but that's when i started to realize that there's more to life than than what i thought to is to it and i wanted that connection more than anything that's what i strive for and so i ended up getting sentenced long story short i went to trial fought my case two times went to two two different federal trials fought it jury and everything first one found guilty but i beat the main charges and so they were going to let me go and the federal government did not like that so they indicted me on another case and i ended up getting 151 months 12 and a half years sentence. And I sat there, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, oh my God, I felt like Job in the Bible. You know what I mean? I was like, oh God, what, what, how did you forsake me? I just felt like, I thought I was doing what was right, you know? And then I just surrendered, brother. I just surrendered. I'm like, okay, let's go where this path goes. What would Jesus do in this path, on this situation, right? He would trust God. So I trusted and I served the rest of my 10 years creating an impact in prison you know, teaching men meditation, teaching them about how to control their mind more, how to navigate their emotions more. And it's a long story short, but it was a whole decade in prison that I was able to live, you know, this life in which I transformed the way that who I was in there before I got out. So fast forward, got out 2011, December. And, you know, I was like, after 10 years in, it was like 2012, you know, the, where people are saying, talking about the Mayan calendar, and it's going to be the end of this and the end of that. And that's exactly when I got out at, at that at that point in time. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what do I do? What do I do here? It's just been gone for so long. How do I figure this out? You know, and I knew that there was a calling for me and I, I didn't know how to do it. 
and it was it was hard. It was a difficult time getting out, you know, probation and all these things that I had to do. And I, I did what what I needed to do. You know, I stayed focused. I washed cars. You know, I rode the bus and did all that humble stuff. And they got a job a job driving limousines and whatnot. They got a job driving. Uh, I'm sorry, working in fine dining restaurants. Mm-hmm. Just kept moving up, you know, and and trying to figure out what what's my I knew what my purpose was, but I didn't know how to put it into action. It was just very, I, I didn't see it. It was like, I couldn't see it because I, I kept like, I kept thinking that I needed to make money again to be able to do what I love to do. Same kind of thinking, but I wasn't doing it illegally now. I was doing it legally, but I was still kind of stuck in this loop of thinking that money solves problems, mm. which it, it does on some extent, right? It does to some extent, but it doesn't it doesn't define you. And I, I, didn't, I was still kind of in this thing where I needed to make more money to be able to help people. And God kept mm-hmm. saying to me, Michael, stop chasing crumbs. I want to give you so much more, but you got to trust me. And I'm like, I get it, God, but you know, <laughs> I got to trust you when I got to eat and I got to pay rent, right? It's like, you get, I got caught in this tug of war within myself. Right. And it wasn't until some years later that uh, a friend of mine uh, named Clyde Terry, calls me up well actually his my friend Kane calls me up tells me about Clyde Terry and Kane tells me hey I, I think you'd be perfect to help in this program called Emerging Leaders Academy and I'm like what is it he goes well it's it's we're a nonprofit organization in, in Long Beach it's it was birthed out of the sheriff's department and we work with people who have been in and out of prison so that we, we give them these empowerment tools help them change their mindset let go of emotions. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want to do. Right. They go, it's one problem. I go, what? He goes, it's not paid. It's, it's free. Was it, we don't, we don't have any funding yet really for it. We have enough funding to keep it going, but we don't have enough funding for salaries. And I'm like, I don't care. I want to go do it. Right. So I jumped on the plane from Maui to LA and right around the same time, I put a motion into the courts to be released from probation and they released me less than half my probation time. So I knew this was, this was a sign from God when that happened. Mm-hmm. So there are now I'm in LA and it's like, this is a job that's in alignment with what I love to do, but I'm not getting paid. So it's like, how do I eat? And I just had this like thinking, man, it was really interesting. It was like, of like a scarcity mindset, you know, I just didn't know how I was going to get it. And I, I got a job driving Uber and I, I was just like working to like make it. I don't know if you've ever been there or some of the listeners can relate with that. It's like you're working just to make it, you know? It's and like, and like, figuring it out as you go along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was working. Oh, right? yes. And I was working to survive. And I'm like, fuck mm. that. Excuse my language. But I want to work to thrive. Mm. How, do I, how do I get to that place, right? Doing what I love to do. So I did Emerging Years Academy for two years, man. Two years I taught, taught these classes. Drove from Glendale, California to Long Beach. Almost two hours in traffic. Three days a week. And those are some hard times, man. But I loved that I was getting to teach and get to share some of my knowledge with these students. Did that for a while. And then I got involved in NLP. So NLP stands for, the N stands for neuro, meaning um, how the mind works, how the mind fires and wires information, the nervous system and how that works, how the unconscious mind and what's called the prime directors of the unconscious mind. And the linguistics is how we structure language how we structure sentences and how we communicate with others and how we communicate with ourselves specifically and how we communicate using the prime modalities of, of communication, which is the visual, 
auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, and gustatory, which is just basically how, you know, what we see externally and internally and what we say externally and internally and what we feel and then what we smell and what we taste and how you can use those different modalities of learning to communicate more effectively by understanding how the sub modalities of those categories work so i learned this i'm like well this is really freaking cool and i had already been studying this different forms of personal growth and stuff for years but i never came across this type of knowledge right. and the programming uh at the time when it was created back in the 70s, um, the you know, computer programming was big. So the programming is like our beliefs and how we program with certain strategies and beliefs. So that's what neuro-linguistic programming means and stands for. So when I took this first class, I was blown away. I'm like, oh, this is what I've been missing, like actual tools to help the mind change. Because I'd taken lots of personal growth seminars and they were great. Bonnie. they would take me into this process and they'll bring up your emotions and you'd be aware of how you were but nothing was showing me like how do you actually release the emotion how do you actually change the belief at the core 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 level and how do you understand the strategies and how the mind actually works like this was like the user manual for the mind and i was just like because nlp was created by two people named richard bandler and john grinder and what they did is they did was they really pioneered uh, this concept of modeling of how to sit down with somebody and model the process of how they do what they do and then be able to teach that process to other people so it's not like it's only for a special few <laughs> right it's like we all can learn more effectively and so um, when I learned that it was really interesting and then I took their master level course that taught me, it was a two week course. First I took the four day course, became a practitioner. Then I took the, the two week course, became a master level trainer, or not trainer, a practitioner. And then the owner scholarship me into the trainer's training course. It was just like a miracle, right? It's like these courses are like $10,000. And he scholarships me into it because he's like, I want you to go out and help people. He saw me, you know? And I think you, I know, I know you interview a lot of people around it. And I'm pretty sure the people that you interview, they, along their life path, maybe even for you, Ronnie, you get to certain places where somebody sees you, man. You know what I mean by that? Like, Absolutely, like, definitely. Like, like there may be a moment where you're, you might be doubting a little bit, but they just see you and they remind you in those moments that you're so much more than what you think you are. And I think we yeah. all need that in our life. You know, I know I, I know I did. And this guy saw me. He was the owner of the company and he scholarship me into the trainer's training. Now, now that that was another two week training and that training taught me how to teach groups, how to lead seminars, you know, how to really teach to the different ways that people learn. Um, and then after that, I went and I got a job at a foreclosure defense law firm. Now I'm like teaching lawyers, man. I went from prison to like wow. teaching, you know, you know, drug dealer to, to like helping his company build their community, build their values, uh, and, and help them become better at communication. And that was a big wake up call. That's when like, wow, I can actually do this, man. I actually don't got to be living in chains from my past. I can actually be who I'm meant to be. And there's some that are going to accept me and there's some that aren't. So let me first change my image of myself. And that's what I did. And then from there, that was like a big breaking point. And then I have a friend that kept telling me about this life coaching thing. I'm like, uh, what is life coaching? <laughs> and they're like, life coaching is the art of being able to help somebody get clear on their vision, on their goals, help them get clear on where they're at in comparison to where they want to be, 
and then helping them design an action plan to get where they want to be and then helping them by asking really powerful questions to help bring out within them all of the answers to their questions and when i when they told me the concept of of asking questions at that time this is like you know like seven years ago i'm like oh what why wouldn't you just tell somebody <laughs> what, what they need to know right like right. Mm-hmm. why would you ask them a question isn't it faster if you just tell them and they were trying to explain to me and i just i wasn't really catching it right there back then but then i went back and i explained to me okay i said let me try this thing so i tried it and i then i started to notice like that's how jesus taught <laughs> parables that's exactly what i was thinking when you were saying that Jesus yeah. spoke in parables, whether you're spiritual or not. They didn't mean to cut you off, but you, you can. No, yeah, that. please. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. And I started to be like, that's what he taught in parables. He didn't give you the mm-hmm. answer. He gave you a parable to let you figure out your own answer. Mm-hmm. Or he'd ask you questions, right? To get you to think. So I got into life coaching and I went back and I took another training, which was a one-year certification training to becoming a certified life coach. Took a one-year training. Uh, and it, it taught me from the, the marketing to the sales to the how to coach part. And then I just finally was like making a living. I mean, six figures, I think that year, I mean, six figures. And I was finally like, OMG, I can actually make a decent living doing this thing, helping people. And so I just started to learn that this craft of life coaching. And then um, wow. uh, a, a little bit later, I was going to get hired by the NLP company that had trained me. Mm-hmm. and then so I, I'm like oh my gosh are you kidding me I'm gonna work for them and I went up and I I presented to a room of 100 people and I taught a certain segment and the owner was like we'll let you know we're looking to expand and he was like the con never came in and I was sitting there starting to doubt myself but I kept my vision and I said okay guy I know I'm gonna do this I know I'm gonna do this. this is what you want me to do and so this other company um my friend told me about this other company and that she was working for. And this was a coaching company and these certified life coaches. And I, I called up, her name was Heather. I said, hey, Heather, like, I see you're traveling all over the country. Like, wow, I want to do that. Do you guys have any openings? And Heather says, no. Okay. Waited in a couple months, called her again. Hey, Heather, do you have any openings? She goes, you know what? We still don't, but I'll let you know. The next day, the owner calls her and says, we're looking for somebody. So I was fresh in her mind. So she goes, I know somebody. So she calls me up. I interview and I get hired like on a phone call, basically. Wow. <laughs> right. And, and this company was a legit company that certified life coaches under the ICF. So ICF stands for the International Coaching Federation, which has been around since the 70s. It's like a nonprofit board of coaches that has a very high standard of coaching. Because coaching is kind of like the wild, wild west. There's no state regulation. So anybody can call themselves technically a life what? coach. And it's, <laughs> it's legal. It no. yeah. yeah, it's like anybody. Yeah, I'm a life coach, right? It's like no training. And maybe they have a gift, but I don't know. I have a whole thing on that. I, you know, it's like people trust you with their lives. You should have some training. <laughs> you know what I mean right. on that? Even if you have a natural innate gift, in my opinion. So anyway, so this company hires me, but now I got to go get certified by the ICF, right? To be able to teach for this company. So I did all that legwork. I went and got certified. And now, Ronnie, I remember my first class that I went and I co-taught with somebody. So I co-taught the first one and the lady hands me a check for like $1,200, right? And I'm just going like, 
I can freaking do this. Finally getting paid. Finally, after all these, and I had gotten paid for coaching people, but I had never gotten paid to teach up until this point. And then I got the main position to, to have my own classes, not getting paid more. I'm traveling all over the country, uh, you know, teaching these classes. And that's how I met Daryl. He was in one of my classes. And so now I'm like traveling to different places, teaching people. And I'm going like, okay, God, I see the path is now is getting clear. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden I'm like, I mean, Ronnie is like so euphoric. I'm like sitting here signing certificates you know, certifications, like with my name for people who have never been through my situation. I, I certified a good friend of mine to this day. We're like good friends now. His name is uh, uh, Joseph Polino. Polino. He's a mm -hmm. chief of police of San Bernardino, California. Good friend, sat in my mm -hmm. class. And to me, those little things is like, I signed a certificate of a chief of police. And we connected so much that I've gone out to his precinct and he showed me, you know, the behind the scenes and i'm going like thank you god <laughs> you wow. know for giving me these types of experience that remind me that i'm on the right path mm. and so yeah i just kept doing it i did it for two years brother i did i uh, certified over a thousand life coaches in those two years about almost 50 classes and then COVID happened and long story short the company and i had a falling out they actually fired me because they said that i was stealing their students i had a different program to help coaches build their business and some of the students were coming to me and they didn't like it and they fired me. And I'm sitting there around and going like, oh God, what did I do wrong? You know what I mean? But then that, that gave me the inspiration to start my own company. So created my own company called Conscious World Changers. And it's a, it's a company and we do certifications. So what I did is I combined NLP and life coaching into one course. So I teach both of them now and I love what I do, brother. So that's a little bit of my story of how I, how I got here and, I live in Maui, Hawaii now and have a beautiful relationship and I do what I love to do. And it's very rewarding, brother. And it's like, I just hope my story can inspire somebody to not give up on their journey, you know? Absolutely. I'll, Michael, I want to take this time to make some noise for you, brother, because I love when um, we come across a, a, a story that really engulfs the whole from her the good element. And it was a lot of things like that I want to highlight from that. Mm -hmm. First of all, one of the one of the things you um you were as you were talking, I heard um well it's it's a Jay Z line, but some people can I think Jay Z is like a course in Howard Howard or something. But he said this line: "Lock my body, can't trap my mind." And like they had you in prison, but you were able to just like kind of escape from that, escape from your body, just. Um, begin to develop your mind. You're like your body is here, present. I'm here, but mentally, I'm already kind of envisioning uh, what I what I'm developing this passion for. And another thing that also really stood out while you while you were speaking is that the the perseverance to mm -hmm. stay on your journey. Because when you when you when you got out, you know there was somebody teaching the class to drive two hours you know, three mm -hmm. times a week for, for no pay. Like most people after a while would have, would have you know, thrown them, man, I don't need this. I mean, I got bills, I got kids to feed, you know what I mean? They would yeah. just kind of um, <laughs> just give up on that. And yeah, man, it, it, it was just jam packed. Another thing that kind of stood out that I, that I wanted to highlight, especially for the, for the people who may be listening, because one would think 
um, coming up, growing up in Ho- in Hawaii, which you know I'm from Brooklyn, New York, bed stop precisely, mm-hmm. uh, where they don't act politely. <laughs> but um, <laughs> one would think just living in Hawaii, growing up in that environment, having I mean, your, your parents, even though they weren't there that much, you, it was both parents. And one would think yeah. um, it's kind of like um, challenging for you to get involved in things that I'm sure, you know, you had to have that gut feeling that you shouldn't even be involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 yeah. I would like for you to kind of speak to the youth on, on that because um, a lot of people think, or parents even, I see, I, like, I, I joked one time about uh, last week, because this interview is coming out this week, but last week um, I, I was joking about a, a guy had got shot and his first thing was to say, don't tell mommy. <laughs> so, mm. um, mm-hmm. like, from your perspective, what is it that kind of made you gravitate? Because I also know that the things we go through prepares us for, for later, I'm sure, if you hadn't a, uh, made some mistakes, had some challenges, you probably wouldn't even be as effective as you are today. So, but mm-hmm. what, when, when you were growing up, what were some of the things that kind of made you gravitate towards gangs and and, and drugs and, and things of that nature in the first place when um, from the outside looking in, people would, would be like, hey man, you, you know, you, you're living a good life. If, if you mm-hmm. don't mind touching yep. up on that, kind of clearing that yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, those are really good topics. And I want to kind of also talk a little bit about the Jay-Z line. And mm-hmm. what, I, what I, I think one of the key elements that I learned being in physical prison was that I was in a mental prison before physical prison. Mm-hmm. And so my, my vision and my dream is to help people be free of their mental prisons that's out here. They think they're free and they're really not mm-hmm. by their own preconceived opinions and prejudices and the way that they see the world. You know, a lot of people that just are stuck. So just to, to that quote, right? You don't have to be in prison to be in prison kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> and then mm, to- you, know, you don't hit somebody in the chest with that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then to, to come back to your point. So I wanna come at this from two different perspectives. One is a, uh, a more higher spiritual perspective and one is more like what happens here at the physical level and what leads us to do certain things. So there's, a, so there's two things. There's one thing is from the spiritual perspective, there's a story that I learned from Dr. Sue Mortar, who gives this, this thing. She says, it's not factual. She says, just entertain this thought. She says, what if before you came to the planet, we, you met all the people that were going to be significant in your life, like you, Rodney, like you would be one of those, right? Because we're on the show and, and you'd be part of this, right? And it'd be like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to really go big on earth. You know, I want to play this role in which, you know, I get really lost in drugs and gangs and, and I want to be able to take all of that. And I want to be able to help people be free from their mental prison. Who, who's going to volunteer is my dad and my mom and, and, you know, the girlfriends and son. Right. And people are like, well, okay, I'm willing to play the role of the dad because I'm willing to be that in this life. I think we could meet. So she shares this idea that maybe, some of this from a higher, higher perspective is all divinely guided. So that's that's one thing I want to share with the, with the audience that maybe whatever path you're on is perfect exactly like it is. And, and don't compare yours to mine because it's individual. Right. You know, I don't know what God's doing in your life, Rodney, or everybody else's life. 
So what we tend to do is look at if it happened for Michael that way, it's going to happen for me that way. And yes, there may be some similarities, but you don't know. Everybody has a function. I, I've learned, Ronnie, everybody has a unique function on this planet. Mm-hmm. Let's like every animal does, and every piece of, every type of grass and tree does. Everything serves a certain function. So why wouldn't I think that God created all of us to fill certain functions for its divine will? So that's from that perspective. And then from the perspective of the more of this reality of like 3D physical reality, I'll share another story. Uh, and this is actually, uh, gosh, I, I want to find the article. I w- it was shared to me by Dr. Matt, who said he read this in the article about these two women who were interviewed separately on this news channel. And they interviewed, one of them was like homeless, under a bridge, drugs, really bad shape. The other one was like this, really powerful woman and she was like this entrepreneur nonprofits helping other people you know very positive impacting society very positively right and so they interviewed the lady who was under the, the bridge first and they said hey tell us a little bit about your story and what happened and how did you end up here and she says well you know it's pretty simple man if you learn about my story my dad sexually abused me mom left us and you know i had this childhood of being abused repeatedly and at school I got picked on didn't have opportunities and so what else could have become than this you know I had a fucked up life right mm-hmm. and they asked the other lady hey tell us a little bit about you and how did you end up she goes, well if you look at my story my dad was abusive sexually to me too and my sister mom left us I got also messed with the school for being too pretty or whatever and you know but I, I didn't I said to myself I'm going to help other people never have to go through that again so I decided that I was going to make an impact in the world. So two women that had almost the same, you know, experiences, yet they chose differently. Mm. So to answer your question, it's a tough one. I can only say for me, mm. um, you know, and for me, I believe that I was very divine and guided to do with the work that I'm doing right now. I just thank God that I was able to see the signs and get out before I was killed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that could have happened very easily many times in my life. I, in fact, it came very close quite a few times. Uh, you're from Brooklyn. I'm sure you had you had your run-ins, bro. <laughs> there, you know what I mean? Uh, so, so, um, but to give people some some context over here, right? So, what tended to to at the at those times, right, was this sense of belonging. Somebody accepted me for who I was. And it was a sense of safety. So I know for me, those are some of the things that drew, drew me towards that. Um, and sense of uh, people that didn't, that felt outcasted, you know, people that didn't want to follow. I, I just had a, for some reason, I, I just, I felt like I didn't like the rules so much. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like there was more. And so I gravitated, I wanted to be free and do whatever I wanted. So I gravitated towards kids that created their own rules right? The problem that I have, that I had was that I didn't have morals and values in place. That's what I know now. I still go for freedom. I'm still, I'm still a rebel, trust me, but I have values and I have morals and I live by ecology, right? Everything that I do, it's good for my body. So I don't do drugs. It's, or drink. It's good for other people. So I don't hurt other people or take advantage of other people. And it's good for the community. So I didn't have that back then. You know, and so I think those are the keys. I'm still seeking expression of freedom. I still seek friendships and belonging. I just, I seek different friends now, you know? So 
those experiences just taught me that like and you there's tons of stories of men and women who have had those types of experiences who turned it around and they're doing incredible uh you know i'm not the only one there's other people who have done it as well uh, so you know some of them are excellent entrepreneurs you know drug dealers you know and so they just right. need some they need some guidance and you know I, i've seen that in prison yeah every every um you know? every journey is different i like i i like the, the phrase that um because a lot of people think they'll just make the decision to change their life and begin making some pretty solid decisions working in the right direction but i think the universe has a way of asking you without asking you how bad do you really want it and i think when when you just continue to um go out and work for free mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it re- really really says a lot to the universe about about what you um what you really wanted from it in, in your life in particular can i can i ask one question because this question is kind of hitting me right now i see yeah yeah like one thing I, even i've done it i've made a decision seen some adversity and kind of um gave up <laughs> let's mm-hmm. call it what yep. it is gave up what mm-hmm. were you doing because i know you still had to pay the bills some some kind of way what were you still working at the time were you still did you still like secure income and was like just committed to going here these these uh this two hour drive three times a week that you had to do like how how did you strike that balance where you didn't give up on your passion what you were passionate about um i'm sure like something drove you but how did you continue to live and continue to pursue your passion for those who may you know just be working out there with the passion but don't know really exactly how it looks yeah that's a really good question so one thing that i was i learned while i was incarcerated um i, I was mentored by a few people in there very wise older man one african american gentleman named Doug Mayberry he was much older than i was in prison had done 30 years and this guy was an incredible guide for me and one of the things that he taught me he says michael when you define what your passion is and what you love to do you may have to do other things that aren't your passion but those other things will perceive the passion of what you love to do because it's a stepping stone to get where you want to do so the first thing i would say is you have to have a bigger vision of where you want to be then what i did when i moved to la i didn't say this to you but I started to call people that I know. I just started to look for a job of something. And so I ended up, I, I kind of, this is going to be cool how I tied this in. I ended up getting a job from a guy that I knew who, who he was, um, uh, he was part owners of this foreclosure defense law firm, which you heard me mention earlier. But the mm-hmm. first part that I didn't tell you is he's, he was, he had an escrow department, but it was small, but he wanted to grow the escrow department for real estate. Um, and so he's like, I want you to come in and I want you to, to lead this and generate sales. So I'm like, well, I can do that. This is before I had my NLP training, right? So mm-hmm. fast forward before my NLP training. So I'm over here going door to door, man, Glendale, California. So Glendale, California is predominantly Armenian. So Persian, Armenian. And I'm over here going to all these real estate offices. I, I went to the um, Chamber of Commerce and I, and I typed all the different real estate businesses that there were, right? And one by one. I went to those things and one by one, I got shut down one after the other, but he was paying me a salary mm-hmm. to do this, a very mm-hmm. low salary, by the way, it was a 2000 a month, which live in LA at 2000 a month, you're, you're like renting a one bedroom, barely getting enough food to eat. So that's what I was doing mm-hmm. while making this drive. That's why I told you I was driving from Glendale to Long Beach. 
because my job was in Glendale, right? So I'd have the suit on and I'll go to all these places, get rejected all day and then get, get in my car and then drive to Long Beach to go teach. It was very difficult, but I did it. And then I let go of that, that job because the guy actually told me, bro, I love you, man, but you're not generating sales. I don't, I, this, is, <laughs> I don't this is, he goes, I don't think it's you. I go, I think it's, we're trying to move into an industry that's really tight knit. And it was, these people had escrows. Like you got relationships for like 20, 25 years, 30 years. And I'm just, yeah, ain't nobody just small... gonna let you play with their money. And, well, that, and escrow is, escrow is a big, a big part of the of the real estate and that part goes bad the whole deal goes bad mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's so do i i understand that now at the time like i can do anything right <laughs> well god was like it didn't work out but i was learning how to deal with rejection Rodney, at a deep level mm. right that's what that's what the lesson was how to deal with rejection one of the things that we freaking hate to deal with in life right is how they be being rejected nobody likes to be rejected so i had to learn how to deal with that and then i got a job then the same guy who was my good friend said I have a friend who has a Uber black a vehicle, which is the SUV. This is this is years ago. This is like six years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and he goes, he can lend you the car. You got to pay him a certain amount of money, but you can make money. You, he says, you used to drive limousines. You should knock it out the park. I'm like, that I, can, I should be able to do, right? Mm-hmm. So he gives me this car. And now I'm driving, Ronnie, day and night. And I'm making good money, but guess what I'm not doing? I'm not like, I'm still teaching, but it's like, I'm not going as often. It's really hard. I'm not sleeping. I'm got my Uber app all the time. And it's really hard to get an Uber call with the, with the black because it's like $30 an hour, right? It's like way yeah. more expensive than, not an hour, but like, like for per mile, whatever. It's really expensive. And so I did that and, I, and I'm like, I want to make enough money to go to NLP training. So this is what I, what I didn't mention is getting more specific is I crashed that Uber car about two weeks before going to the NLP, tra- the advanced training. Wow. And, be- and I crashed it and it was my fault. And it wasn't like serious crash, but I, I took a left turn with somebody going straight and my left side fender caught their right fender and it peeled their fender back and mm-hmm. messed up my car. And so this was a friend of my friend, remember, a friend of my friend's car and it was my fault. And I told the guy, as soon as we, I got an accident, I said, hey, can we pay for this outside of the, the insurance? I, I, I just don't want to involve insurance. One, I didn't want to mess up my friend's friend's insurance because it was going to go straight up. It was a commercial vehicle. So his insurance would have went through the roof. And two, I didn't want it on my record. Right? right? So the expenses were like $10,000, no, 9000 something. That was yeah. all my savings, dude. And I was just like, I was, I was driving Uber like crazy, brother, like day and night to make that money. I had like, I had like 13,000 or 12,000. So now I'm dropping almost 10,000. So I got like 1,500, 2,000 left. And when you have 2,000 in the bank and you have no income and you got to pay rent, it's gone <laughs> like the next month, right? So what I didn't tell you at the more detailed version of it is when I went to the master practitioner training, I was sleeping on my friend's couch, my friend David, because I didn't, I didn't have, I, I couldn't keep paying the rent. But then I got scholarship and that's what kept me in. God was like, don't give up. Here's some help. So that's when, even though things were hard, Rodney, at the mm-hmm. same time, there was like a light. If that makes sense. I, it makes, yeah, perfect sense because I'm, I'm hearing it as, um, and, and this is for everybody. I, I exclude no one. Everyone I've ever spoken to, interviewed, or just pretty much had a conversation who's, uh, reached a certain level of success, the journey there definitely was not easy. There will be setbacks. And I think just um, 
just being prepared. You you didn't see that happening, but to have anything saved up, even though it depleted you, it, it, it shut you down. You know, it, it <laughs> there will be setbacks. That's like just my main takeaway from that. Yeah, as, I, as I, far I, as you know, entrepreneurship goes. And I, and I want to say this too. I want, I want to make sure that the audience hears that. You hear how hard it was for me. It doesn't have to be that hard. I was making it that hard. I see that now, but that was my process. So it's mindset. It's trusting. I was resistant. I, I, my mindset was around not enough. That's why I was doing things. I didn't feel valued. I didn't value myself back then as much as I do now. And, and you know, I, I didn't feel as confident when I do like I do now. So now it's like way different. I, I, yeah. I, I balance it. You know what I mean? I have some clients who are my high end clients. And then if I get somebody that I feel is the right fit, I'll scholarship them into either a class or, or one-on-one there's a balance that I have, you know, I give, I receive, it's not all money, but there is what I've learned. One thing is there needs to be skin in the game for somebody from somebody to them, for them to, sh- to shift some some sort of and usually it's money you know they invest mm-hmm. something they show up more often <laughs> you give it away for free they don't value it right, right? so yeah yeah and michael I, um you got this quote on your website because i want to i want to do something special for the listeners if you, if you don't mind yeah um you got this quote see it believe it take action towards it and yeah. earlier when we <laughs> were in, in our conversation yeah, it's, it's a great quote um short simple and to, to the point i love stuff that's as simple as possible um simple but informative you know what i mean kind of like yeah um uh, speaking in parables or whatever but you mentioned earlier the nlp neurolinguistic mm-hmm. programming i'm a little familiar with it um i'm not sure if some listeners are familiar with it but it's the first time it's been mentioned on this platform so mm-hmm. can you give us uh maybe a beginner step maybe something somebody could practice at home to kind of get more of an idea of how that works yes so the thing is this is there's a lot of content out there that that is um some people are represented well some people aren't because it's um there's no copyright on it so you got to be kind of be mindful of who you choose to listen to on that but um definitely reach out to me for sure. I got a beginner course and it's super inexpensive. It's an intro course. I'm going to be doing like free intros as well. So, I, so I'm one resource for that. I got I, have, I do have a YouTube channel as well and I have some NLP stuff on there as well. And I plan on putting more stuff on, out on it on that as well. So that's one thing um, that I could suggest. And just have them reach out to me and I'll send them some, some info on. I'll, I can give them some better resources for that. Awesome. So yeah, let us know how to get in touch with you. Yeah, for sure. So um, it's really simple. My my name is Michael Torres Hymas, uh, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-T-O-R-R-E-S-J-A-I-M-E-S. That is, if you put a dot com after that, my website comes up. If you Google me on Facebook, I come up. If you put me on Instagram, that comes up. If you put me on YouTube, that comes up. If you just Google me, a bunch of stuff will come up. And it's really interesting when you Google me because you'll see like all these speaking things I've done and videos I've done and podcasts. And then like towards the bottom of that first page is like my case, <laughs> right? Instead of Hawaii <laughs> versus Michael Hymas. It's like, is that the same guy? Yep, that's the same guy. Wow, wow I love it. Yeah. And, 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 even, and, and even the email is the same, Michael Torres Hymas at gmail.com. So 
Okay, got it. Yes, and I'll I'll leave all of that in the show notes. I like to make it simple for the listeners, you know, which I all appreciate. And yes, I'm on the website right now. It's very easy to navigate. Um, so I encourage you guys go check that out. Michael Torres, James. It looks like James yeah. for for the for my heavy English speakers, which is yeah. why I'll leave the show notes. The last name is James, but it looks like James. With looks like James. And yes. A, yeah, in, in the middle. <laughs> Just so yeah, y'all and- know. And I will mm-hmm. say I have a class in December that's not on the website yet. I haven't put it up, but I do have a end of the year class in December coming up. And then next year's schedule is coming out as well. Got it. Got it. So and, salute to you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Ronnie. Mm-hmm. You were going to say thank something? you. No, 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 no. Just, just thank you for having me, brother. Appreciate. I appreciate you reaching out, man. That's really cool. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for for joining us, man. And I was going to just say salute to you for really engulfing and embracing um not just the platform but the just your lifestyle your story i think it's incredible i think um someone who goes through something faces 10 years because i man if they'd have told me 10 days I, that's too much time I, <laughs> just being in yeah. there 24 hours is, is too much time for me you know what i mean so um yes i just really sincerely thank you and before we go i'd just like to leave our listeners um, you got any encouraging words, something from the heart just to share with everybody who may be listening? I think that quote you said is really powerful, you know, it's see it, right? So it's like, spend some time, you know, when they, when they studied Nicholas Tesla, you know, one of the greatest inventors of all time, you know, his inventions still, they're locked in a vault right now and the government's studying that stuff. He was a genius. I mean, he predicted the internet before it was... And Nicholas Tesla, he used to sit there before he would do an invention, he would he would visualize it from beginning to end, work out most of the kinks in it before he would ever take action. So that's to see it and believe it. That's you see the thing that you want to do, have a strong, unshakable faith and trust. And it, believing is, is includes like embodiment and the embodiment is where it's not fake it till you make it it's you are in the actual frequency that is already here even though you don't see it yet but inside Mm -hmm. you see it so it's not see it like you see it outside this is see it you see it inside right and so Mm -hmm. once you see it and you embody it take smart action towards the things that you want so you need a combination of the three in my opinion so i'll just leave people with that Go for mm. it. Amen. Thank you. And Michael yes. can definitely help you out with that. Go check him out, michaeltorresthomas.com. Um, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Another fire episode from hood to good. Keep loving on your loved ones. Spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. Y'all know how we do. 